0: I'm your host Emily, and you're listening to Beyond a Bedtime Story, a parent's guide to children's reading. In this episode, we'll be tackling a book that carries emotional weight, and it's one that you're almost certainly familiar with. It's one that I read as a child. And while I remembered my love for it, when I reread the book, I was reminded of and rather shocked at its candid melancholy. The book is The Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein, and in case you're unfamiliar, it follows the friendship of a tree and a boy. But as the boy grows older, he becomes absent and only visits the tree to request things from her, such as apples and branches and her trunk, until by the end, the tree is reduced to just a stump on which the boy finally sits. Now this ending, it is quite heavy and quite sad. We get this image of the tree being just a stump and the boy, who is still called a boy, although he is very old in age and can only sit on the tree's stump. All his life, this tree, She has given up everything, but is still happy if it means that the boy is happy and she can be there for the boy. But that message is pretty dark. It's pretty sad because the tree gave up everything of itself for this boy, who never really gave her anything in return. In regards to this kind of depressing ending, Mr. Silverstein, in an interview he did in 1978 for the New York Times, he said that happy endings, magic solutions in children's books, create an alienation. the child who reads them the child asks why i don't have this happiness thing you're telling me about and comes to think when his joy stops that he has failed and it won't come back so with this quote silverstein is really acknowledging that yes his books include sad endings because they're more like real life and a child in a sense, should be prepared to deal with the reality of that things aren't perfect and they don't have these fairy tale solutions. Because by handing a child a story and surrounding them with stories all of their life that are only happy, they're going to be devastated when they grow up and the real world doesn't match that image. But by giving children this sadness and this reality in small doses, it will prepare them. And it may be sad, but acknowledging that sadness at least they'll have the tools and you can teach them as a parent. And I'll get into this in the second segment when we look at prompts to use. As a parent, you can prepare them to deal with the sadness, which will help them in the long run. But this also broaches the idea that certain children can handle different levels of sadness. This reminds me of a conversation I had with a friend not too long ago, a couple weeks ago. And we we're talking about like our childhood and as a child, I loved sad endings. I liked reading sad books and I liked watching the news, although it was sad because, I don't know, it made me feel something and I felt like I was learning something and I felt like sadness was a part of life and it was something that I didn't mind confronting. I was literally obsessed with the news to the point where every Friday when Tom Yamas was on ABC News for David Muir, I would get so excited that I would get to see Tom Yamas and I would get to see the news. I didn't mind the sad stories, but that's related to who I was as a child and that I loved writing and I still love writing and reading. So it's a characteristic of me, whereas my friend, we were joking about this, his parents wouldn't even let him watch the news because it made him too sad because he would get too upset about it. So his parents wouldn't put on the news for him knowing that it was too much for him to handle. And that's completely okay. Children grow at different rates and they can handle different levels of sadness. Your child doesn't have to be me sitting in front of the news because at the end of the day, it's depressing and maybe I could have done with a little less of that in my life, but they don't have to be shunned from the news altogether and not be exposed to anything. There can be a happy medium. It's a matter of as a parent, you know your child and you know how much they can handle. But just that story got me thinking that children are different and they're not gonna be able to handle the same amount of sadness as each other and this like reality that they need to be prepared to face. But books such as The Giving Tree, they give a platform to approach said sadness and expose your children to these heavy themes, but within a controlled and safe environment because they're reading this book with you as a parent. They feel safe doing so. And with the appropriate follow-up prompts and conversations, you can ensure that your child is getting the most value out of the story and kind of learning from the wrongness of the relationship in the book and how the tree gave too much and didn't receive anything back. And they can learn that that's a dangerous relationship to be in and not a healthy one to be in, but frame it in a sense of your child will know that is wrong and can learn from said mistakes and not later in their life be engaged in a relationship where they're giving too much and not receiving anything. Essentially, what I'm getting at, and I think what Silverstein was also getting at in his interview, is that texts can provide a healthy amount of sadness that children can confront. And you as a parent can help them feel the weight and the emotion of something like that, of a relationship that is wrong, but also learn how to be better and how to deal with those relationships when they occur, because later in life, that may be something that they're faced with. But in my research for this book, after I had analyzed it, and I wanted to see the commentary surrounding the giving tree, because it's called the giving tree, and yet the tree is almost giving too much. It's not a good giving necessarily, and I wanted to see what the sentiment was around that. And I found this New York Times article called, We Need to Talk About the Giving Tree. In the articles, the authors Adam Grant and Allison Sweet Grant, um, they say that it's not really about generosity. It's a book about self-sacrifice, and those are two very different things. They talk about how some readers might see the self-sacrifice of the tree as noble, as an unconditional love that a parent might give to a child, but that that should be very different from the term of generosity, and that a child should learn not to take selfishly. I felt the same way about this when I was reading the book, that in follow-up prompts, which I'll get into, there needed to be a clear distinction of generosity is good to a certain extent. There has to be a balance, because you can't give up everything, And I completely agreed with the authors when they affirmed that this book should be used as a starting point for conversations about healthy behavior and healthy relationships, because that's totally what it can be when you prompt in the correct ways and you point out what's wrong in the relationship and what could your child do differently if they find themselves in this relationship. The only aspect where I, I guess, digress from the authors of that article is they argue for a different ending, that it might have been more beneficial if the boy had given back, or if there was some alternate ending. But Silverstein himself acknowledged that he made the ending the way it was on purpose. It's sad for a reason, and this almost wrongful relationship exists in this book for a reason. Silverstein does exemplify the danger of a one-sided relationship, and by doing so, children can recognize the sadness that accompanies the story's outcome and how dangerous this one-side relationship really is. But when prompted by their parents, children can learn from the mistakes made in the book. And that becomes a more valuable lesson than any happy ending would be. So it's more having an appreciation, someone who writes books and reads books and someone who likes sad endings is that there's value in stories that teach realities. However sad they may be, because at the end of the day, you can't shelter your child from all of the harsh realities they're going to face in their adulthood and as they grow up. But these books, they give you the tools and they give you the opportunities to teach them lessons so that when they inevitably face these things you can't protect them from, they're ready to face them. And they're ready to face them because you have these conversations with them. Essentially, I just wanted to capture the value that these sad stories such as The Giving Tree have. But that about covers everything, and that's it for our first segment. After the short break, I'll reveal specific ways to prompt your child when reading The Giving Tree. So now would be a good time to grab a book if you have it. Alright, I'm back and ready to dive into these reading strategies. If you have the book, definitely feel free to follow along as I refer to specific page numbers. I had to number my own copy, so yours might not have page numbers, but my reference of them should give you a general idea of where the ideas I'm referencing are coming from. But with that said, let's get into it. Because of the nature of The Giving Tree and how impactful the ending is, I would use all of these prompts after reading the whole story in its entirety. your child, And then I would go back and hone in on certain moments. There's a lot of repeated phrases, repeated text from these certain moments, establishing what giving looks like, what selfishness looks like. Those are the themes that really these prompts are going to hone in on. So a moment that you can go back to is on page 45 and 46 with the text. And the tree was happy, but not really. So ask your child, why is the tree not happy? What is the tree missing? You can reference the image on the page. The tree is quite literally missing its trunk because it was taken by the boy. So you can emphasize, well, the tree is missing its trunk and its branches. So the tree is incomplete. The tree is missing what makes it a tree. You could ask Trout, does the tree even look like a tree anymore? doesn't have its branches. It's just a stump. Maybe has the tree given up too much? doesn't even look like itself anymore prompting your child and pushing them in the direction that the tree has given up too much and it's not whole it's not complete. And once you've established that, you can go back to the prior phrases that was repeated and the tree was happy. So, the tree wasn't happy when it was a stump, but when was it happy? Why was the tree happy before? Well, the tree was happy when it was helping the boy and it when it had the company of the boy. You could tell your child, "Well, you're happy when you're with your friends." and when you share with them, right? So that's why the tree was happy, but then when it's a stump, it's not happy. So what could the tree have done to make sure that it didn't become a stump and that it wouldn't be unhappy? Maybe the tree should have said no and not given up its branches and its trunk. Maybe the boy shouldn't have asked the trees for its branches and trunk. Why would it have been good for the boy not to ask the tree for its branches and trunk? Well, because the boy knows that the tree would be a stump without them, and it wouldn't be nice of the boy to take those things from the tree, especially if it's his friend. Do you think maybe the boy could have been a better friend to the tree? By not taking or asking for its branches, the boy would have allowed his friend the tree to still be a tree and keep all the things it needs to be happy. So with these prompts, you're establishing that the tree gave up too much and he didn't need to. The boy and the tree could have still been friends without the tree giving up all of these things. And the boy maybe should have been aware of that. So emphasizing that there's a sense of agency for the boy. He should have done these things and he didn't. And he shouldn't have asked for all of that. That was selfish of him. So that's all prompts having to do with things that happened in the text to establish what was wrong with the relationship and how it could have been better. Other prompts that you can use after reading, not reference to the text, Can you think of someone who helps you, like the tree helped the boy? Who is someone in your life who helps you? Who gives you things when you ask for them? They may say their parent, they may say you, they may say their friend. Um, And then you can follow up, what are some things you do to thank that person? Uh, Maybe they'll say they say thank you, they spend time with them. You can give them examples if they're not getting at it, but it's important to establish that they have people that help them, but they also give back to that person. They can say, what are some things that the boy could have done to thank the tree? How could the boy have been nicer to the tree, been a better friend? And establishing that there was something missing from their relationship and it was the boy wasn't giving back. And ensuring that your child knows to give back. Those are some prompts. Some simple prompts that I have to go along with the giving tree and the theme of actually giving back and ensuring that you don't, like the tree, you don't give up yourself in order to comfort someone else. There has to be a balance. And with a balance, you'll create a more healthy relationship. I like to think of this episode and these prompts as, as a parent, you're giving your child lessons. And that is one of the many gifts you have to offer them. And reading this book and talking about it offers a great opportunity to do so and to give them some life lesson. I analyzed this book prior to Thanksgiving, though I'm now recording the episode after the holiday passed. But with the month of December in general, as we enter into this holiday season, no matter what you celebrate, whether it be Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever else, this month, the next month, there's a large emphasis on gifts and receiving gifts and giving gifts. And that's such a happy time for children and such an exciting time for them. But introducing the giving tree in this moment, it's pretty perfect because you're gonna be able to discuss gratitude and use the giving tree to clarify what selfishness might look like and how to guide your child in avoiding engaging in such behavior. To add to this theme of giving, I have another book recommendation It's called The Last Stop on Market Street by Matt de la Pena, and it truly embodies what true giving looks like, and that's through volunteering and humility. So definitely check that book out. It's definitely more of a book that your child will be able to model and emulate rather than learn how to avoid such behaviors as we discussed in The Giving Tree. But actually pairing the two books, they might be great to introduce to your child around this time in this holiday season. I'm wishing all of my listeners a great holiday season as we get into it and look forward to our next episodes. Thanks for stopping by.